You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Pray for the Gospel Givers to Live in Peace, based on 1 Timothy 2, verses 1-4, through 4, recorded on Sunday, October 30th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. And uh, they're, they're, they're normally have a, uh, maybe a, perhaps a, a girl with a, her face painted on and, and their clothes all ornate. And the wild thing about them is they're about this big. They could be this big, but, and then, but there's a little line through the middle of the doll's belly. And if you realize that's really a crack in the wood, you turn and you pull her head off, which is always fun. It's, pulling dolls' heads off. It's, it's like a little brother thing to do. And then when you get there, there's another girl smiling at you inside and you take her out and there's another doll. And then you pull that one off and you can do this. Often, you'll get 10, 11, 12 little dolls. The last one's that big. And you look, hey, there's a little dolly right there. Well, they don't just do this um, for, for nameless dolls. In Russia, uh, they do this for their leaders. In fact, if you were to go to Russia today, you would find on sale nesting dolls. And perhaps in Russian-themed stores in America, you'd find dolls and you'd see a great big one with uh, Vladimir Putin, the current leader of Russia, right there on the doll. Big Vlad. And everyone wants to see a great big wooden Vlad looking at him, I guess. So, but then if you, if you, what happens if you pull that off? What do you see inside? Some of you are thinking another Vlad. You'd be wrong. No, there's no Vlad in there. They go back, Boris Yeltsin. And you say, wow, Boris Yeltsin's here. And then you screw his head off and you get, this is a test of your, of your history, you get, you get Gorby, Gorbachev, the guy who seemed to have the map of the world right on his forehead. <laughs> and then they don't stop there. They go right into the Soviet guys. If you twist his head off, you get... We're like, huh, who said what? Is it, it's like Chernanko or somebody. Or, and then you can rip his off and you get like and drop off and you get to these guys, Khrushchev and Brezhnev. And if you keep going a little way, you get to, to Stalin and Lenin. But by the time you get to Lenin, he's this big. So you set him on the table. Lenin is this big. But Vlad is this big. I bet you Vladimir likes that. But give it time. Give it time. Give it several more generations if the Lord doesn't return. Vlad will just keep getting smaller and smaller, and there'll be some other guy. Probably another end drop-off. That's the guy who uh, does all our deliveries here. Pick up and drop-off. <laughs> it's his name. Pick up and drop-off. Um, <laughs> that was bad, I know. I stole it from someone else. But that's a great visual of how the kings of the earth work. They seem so great in the moment, but over time, they're really diminished. They're really not that big a deal, right? They're, they're just not that. Who's, who's here still sitting, thinking, saying, dang, that Calvin Coolidge, what a president. <laughs> like, he was a president? Over time, kings diminish, but it's not so with your king, Jesus Christ. And in fact, it works the exact opposite. When he came into the world, he came into an obscure people without a bunch of announcements. He was born to a poor family, and there was no fanfare. We make a big fanfare. We call it Christmas, but there wasn't any then. His, his cousin John came in with a lot of fanfare. The whole 
region wanted to know what sort of boy this was going to be. But not with Jesus. They didn't even know he was slipping in. God had to go wake up a few uh, minimum wage workers on a hill watching sheep saying, hey, I'm doing a big deal and there's no one there to, to make a big deal of it. How about you go over there? Some of you say, what about the wise men? They weren't there. Check the story. He had some family members, some wise men, and this guy just kind of sneaks in. And then out of nowhere, about 30 years later, he's starting to get bigger. He's bringing the rabble with him. But even so, he never, he never was voted for anything. He never ran for anything. He, he didn't raise uh, uh, an army. He didn't even raise his own fist to raise an army. He, he, never, he never took over anything. He was never the mayor of anything. The gov- he wasn't even the president of a local rotary club. He was nothing. I mean, it, he, he didn't do anything politically to make himself great. He didn't even rise up religiously. He didn't even rise up the religious hierarchy. He wasn't even among the priests. And then when it seemed like he was finally getting some attention, what's he do? He lets his enemies destroy him on a cross. It seems like he's going the wrong way, but he's not. Since Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he has been recruiting citizens for his kingdom, citizens who are loyal to him unto death, to the point now where he is by far the greatest king in the history of the world. Because none, he has not diminished, he has grown in power, and none of his citizens are gone. Because he is the one who says, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And if you live and believe in me, you don't die. All his citizens are still alive. And there's millions and millions of them. And he's recruited them from every nation he can. When they can, all the nations. He's still recruiting. There's millions of them today. Jesus is an unstoppable force, setting up an unstoppable kingdom that in every generation is insulted and diminished by the kings and leaders of this world, but unstoppable. And you, my friends, if you know Christ as Savior, are a citizen of that kingdom that is your king. So how do we figure world leaders of today or any day? They are pawns on a chessboard. And God is playing chess, and he's not playing against anyone. He's on both sides. He moves all the pieces where he wills, and he uses them to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. They are tools in his hands. Proverbs 21 says, A king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And it doesn't say godly kings, any king, any leader, any president, any prime minister, any, any school board head, any mayor, anybody. He turns them where he wants. Jesus has a plan for the story of the earth. When God created all things, he had a plan that included the end the beginning and the middle. And he's working out that plan perfectly. And the people who govern are all just players that he moves as he will. His plan cannot and will not be thwarted. With that in mind, let's look at our text today as we do turn the corner on chapter one of First Timothy and jump into chapter two. And, and now Paul, after a very long introduction, warning against false teachers, introducing himself to someone who knew him well and reminding that person, Timothy, uh, of his charge, he says, okay, let's get started. Now that we've, we've got who I am and why I'm writing out of the way, let's get down to business. And he begins with this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions 
and thanksgiving be made for all people. First of all, before anything else, the church should pray. We have a God. Do not go off working and forget you have a God. Have you ever gone off in your own life into big decisions or in difficult times and you're, you're just feeling exasperated and spazzed and, 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 and freaked out and you don't know where to turn and all of a sudden it hits you, oh yeah, I have a God. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I forgot I had a God. And then I pray. Now, you know, we begin with prayer. First of all, pray. First of all, you have a God. Include him. Work in concert with God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's listening to you. He's there with you. He's there inside you. You're not on your own. You're not alone in this thing. You always have a God. Everyone else can leave you, but you plus God is a pretty big group. And you can always talk to him. And he says, do so. Now, he's more specific than that. He says, he says pray. I want supplications, prayers, and intercessions for all people. Okay. Um, this might be a good time for me to launch into a good um, dissection of the original Greek on the word supplication, prayers, and intercessions so that you can have some profound insight onto what the differences are between those words. But guess what? It's not going to happen because I don't know what the differences are between those words. I, I, they all say the exact same thing to me and I don't care in English or you can read another language. They just say the same thing. They are what you think they are, prayers. Now, I would feel bad about that, but in my study for the sermon, I found out that John Calvin, he said he couldn't tell the difference. I'm like, well, if he can't tell, I'm not going to tackle it. So why three words? Paul is trying to make a point. I mean, he's emphasizing. These are intercessory prayers. We should pray for ourselves and often because the biggest obstacle I have to my own Christian walk is the guy I see in the mirror every day. So I need to pray for that guy. But. Here's three times you're praying for others. And thanksgiving, we know what those are. But for all people everywhere. All people doesn't, doesn't leave anybody out. It's very broad. Okay, simple idea here that Paul's given us. You have Christ within you. You have the Holy Spirit. Jesus listens to you when you talk. The Bible makes you many promises about that. That makes you different from people who don't have Jesus. So they're not going to get prayed for if someone who does have Jesus doesn't take the time to pray for them. In a sense, and don't take this in a clerical sense, but in a sense, you are the priests of the world standing between God and lost people. And you're to pray. This also, one other thing to note, before moving on, is this assumes a belief that God desires good for all people, and we always have to start our faith there. That God isn't trying to mess up people's lives or squish them like bugs or even punish them for their sins because he punished their son on their behalf. That God has good intentions for everyone you're praying for. Say, well, I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him. He falls off a cliff. That's not exactly in line with God's intentions for that person. You don't know what he did. You don't either. God does, and it's worse than you think. But so are you. God's intention, his desire for all people is good. Or he wouldn't ask us to pray for him. Let's carry on. But he doesn't stop with for all people. He adds, and I think here's his emphasis in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high position... 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's all really one idea with a lot of words. We are commanded to pray for kings and people in high position. We don't have a lot of kings running around the the globe today. There are still a few places that have kings. But people in high positions means anybody. Anybody in governmental authority over anybody, they need your prayers. One of the great advantages of my job um, is I get to hear the sermons first. Uh, because I'm studying the scripture, and then it's telling me, and then it's hitting me. So I'm reading this and studying this, and it occurs to me, you know what, Mike, you don't spend a lot of time praying for government officials. So I guess before I can call you guys to do it, I'd better repent myself and get down to that practice. So, so okay, I've got to pray for government officials, and I'm working on that. Um, but there, we're not left right there. There's a lot more in this sentence, these next two sentences to help us. So let me break it down just by listing it out as numbered truths. Number one, we are praying for the government leaders so that we can lead peaceful lives of godly dignity. He's not, we're not just praying for them. God, I pray that President Obama has a nice birthday and, and he gets what he wants and the cake is good and his toe doesn't hurt. You know, we could pray those things, I suppose. I don't know if that's what you're into. But I'm praying for government leaders so that I can lead a peaceful life. Because the word that comes after the word high positions. That. I'm praying for them so that something can happen. What? So we. We who? All of us in society, but definitely, specifically, he's here talking about Christians. Because he says can live quiet, peaceful, godly, dignified lives. And that's not lost, folks. I'm praying for government leaders so that I can live a peaceful life, and you can too, of godly dignity. Government's responsibility under God, doesn't matter what government's responsibility is under man. We have all kinds of government theories throughout time. They have their own agendas. But God's responsibility is that, that he gives to them is that they provide protection from outside attackers and order inside. That governments exist to keep bad guys from coming over the borders, stealing your chickens, and taking your crops. And, and from the inside to keep order and law so that people are punished for doing bad so that you can live free in a reasonable, or at least in a reasonable manner. What this truth is telling us, though, is that you should pray that the government does this well. Why? Not just so you can be happy. It says so you can be good citizens, good neighbors. So you can live in the midst, as Paul says in another place, of this crooked generation as lights. You're supposed to live in a dignified manner. Dignity is lost on our generation. This is our, that's our niche. We can be dignified. We don't have to be fools and idiots and the way we go about life. We can live godly and peaceful lives and quiet lives. So we can be good neighbors. Jesus said this in Matthew, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt. Steak, corn, and french fries. Three things that God never intended anyone to eat without salt. If you're in the habit of eating steak without salt, repent of your sin. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Well, I can't think it's imaginable. You can't do anything with salt. I don't want little white rocks on my food. It doesn't taste like salt. It is no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. In other words, without you, the world is dark. Right? There is, you are the light of the world, and doggone it, so are the Buddhists. Ah, they don't shine as bright as you, but you get a glimmer. That doesn't say that. It's dark, and then there's you. I hope you're feeling pretty special about yourself about now. <laughs> a city set on the hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine, where? Before others. Presumably others who don't have light. So that you, they may see your good works, and that will result in what? them giving glory to your Father who's in heaven. So somehow Jesus is saying that the way we live in the midst of a crooked generation results in people getting saved. Because they ain't going to give glory to God unless they figure out who he is. Okay, God's plan for your neighborhood. What is God's plan for my neighborhood? I have the answer. Good, tell me. You. You're the plan. God's plan for your street, God's plan for your family, God's plan for your workplace is what? You! You know, some of you are feeling kind of humble. You're thinking, well, I hope he's got a plan B because there ain't much here. Although I appreciate your humility, I want you to know that just puts you in the, the same place as, as, as Gideon. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you. Moses, I can't talk. My tongue doesn't work. Mary, when Gabriel... Hail, favored one. She's like, who the heck is he talking to? Like all of them, he's talking to you. You're the plan. You are the lamp. You are sprinkled in society. One of my favorite Farside cartoons is, and if you don't know what a Farside cartoon is, I'm sorry that your life has been so sad. (laughs) Um, It has God in his kitchen. He's making the earth. And um, he's got the earth in a tray, right? The the whole plant's in a tray. And he's got all the jars of things he puts in there, like animals, butterflies, whatever. And he has one more jerks. And he's sprinkling that onto the earth going, this ought to make things interesting. (laughs) Of course, that's an unbeliever's humor. And I think it is funny. But he doesn't realize we're all jerks because of sin. But then we get saved. And once you get saved, here's what I like about that picture. It's like God said, okay, saints, this ought to make things tasteful, good. You are being poured out of God's salt shaker. How's that feel? Pretty good, huh? Hope you feel a little better than you did when you got up this morning. Second truth to gain here is our ability to live peacefully in our nation increases our ability to bring the gospel to others. In other words, the government functioning properly in general, not in every case, increases your ability to bring the gospel to a lost world. For kings and or those who are in high position that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, this is good. What is good? That we live quiet, godly, dignified lives brought about by kings and those in high positions being prayed for. And it's pleasing in the sight of God. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved. Paul goes right into the purpose of the government. So folks can get saved. 
You come to the knowledge of the truth. The ultimate condition for the light shining, when all things being equal, is that you are free to live a Christian life before your pagan neighbors. <laughs> Probably don't like being called pagan. I'm being very precise with that definition. I'm not meaning it as an insult or a pejorative. Um, let's say you're unchurched neighbors. The Bible does not mandate any form of government, except for God's. <laughs> it doesn't mandate a democracy. It doesn't mandate a republic. It doesn't mandate a republican democracy. It doesn't mandate a monarchy. Now, this is not to say that the government uh, isn't subject in the way it's run to the principles of the Bible. The Bible says what is good, what is true, what is right. And so if you're doing what's good and right... I'm not saying that some governments aren't better, that you couldn't make the argument that some aren't better, because there certainly are some that are better. I'm just pointing out that you don't have to have the perfect government to pray this prayer. Paul lived in the brutal Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was, and is still to this day, the most far-reaching empire in the history of mankind, if you take the number of nations of the earth controlled by one other nation, no one has ever matched the Romans for not only their geographical width, the number of peoples they grabbed, but also the length of time which they held their control, which was literally for centuries, going all the way up to Britain, going across the water, finding a lot of your white relatives, not all of you, but a lot of you, who are in there like cutting themselves with sticks in, in a cave because they're picks or something, worshiping druids or whatever. And they said, we're Romans, we're taking over. Better learn Italian. I don't think they said that, but. They were all the way down in Africa. They took everything around the Mediterranean Sea. And this is where mankind came from. All civilization comes from around the Mediterranean Sea. Greece, Italy, Everything. But they were brutal. They took it over like this. Hi, we're Rome. We'd like your stuff now. You can't have my stuff. Next. Anyone else still living wants to say that? And, and, and they, they required you to worship their emperor. But you know what? Under the Roman Empire, the church was born. Because as brutal and horrible as that government was, as idolatrous as that government was, requiring emperor worship, it brought something that is referred to by historians as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And it brought another thing, roads. Roads, which we take for granted. When we have our, uh, a couple of our pastors go out to Papua New Guinea this coming month, they will find that roads are a really cool thing because they won't have that many of them. And so if you have one nation controlling all the other nations, you can travel from nation to nation to nation on roads, and what can you bring with you? The gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what Paul did. Now, peace is preferred to persecution. That's a principle of the scripture. People leave, I, I have to say this only because I've heard some Christians say, when looking at the, the, the compromised state of the church in America or the self-indulgent state of the church of America, which in many times and places that, that fits, that description, but they'll say, you know what the church needs? What? Persecution. Like they got over in China. Then that would purify us. And I'm like, well, if you're praying for persecution, could you not pray for anywhere where I am? 
Because, yeah, in China, China's a, an amazing, to the glory of God. The commies came in, the godless communists, and it is a co- atheistic, and they are, they are tough on Christians. They just drove all the missionaries out and, and shut down everything the Christians were doing, and there was only like less than 1% of China was Christian. But it, in the decades since then, there, it's, it, right now today, there are more Christians in China than any other nation in the world. And yes, God did that in the context of oppression. 100 million Chinese Christians. The, the color of Christian skin in the world is yellow. It just is. That You are not the majority. If you're sitting here, unless you're yellow, in which case, don't beat us up. <laughs> and God did this miracle there. But for that, for every one of those, you have Turkey, where this letter was written to, Ephesus. And Turkey, there's almost no Christians because in the 6th century, a, a, a crazed maniac named Muhammad invented a religion that said, we need to shut these people down. And they went into Ethiopia and tore down every church, burned every Bible, killed every Christian who wouldn't submit, and all the Christians left. So persecution is not good if it drives the Christians from the neighborhood. I'm not saying God never uses it right in the book of Acts. He used persecution in Jerusalem to get the church to go out of Jerusalem. Well, they needed to go out of Jerusalem. And so God does move populations and he uses that. But the optimal way to reach a non-believer is to have a believer in his presence. In fact, it's the only way. And if you kill them all or send them all away, there aren't any. And God loves those people. So tell the government, stop kicking the Christians out so that the people can get saved. That's the whole point here. We pray for, to live peaceful, quiet lives, not for the sake of the sustainability of your safety, peace, and affluence. Because you're going to die here. This isn't your home. Christian, I want you to just begin to use your imagination every day to remind yourself that you're going to get a glorified body that is capable of pleasures that this one is not internal pleasures, emotional pleasures, physical pleasures, and it will finally be a sufficient body to properly enjoy God and all the pleasures he's going to give you. That's your future as a citizen of God. This is, you're in this sloppy body, and, and you can, your taste buds, you need more spice as you get older because they don't work as good. Your hearing's going, your sight's going, and even when you're at your prime, it's only oh so good and only oh for a moment. It's nothing. We're not praying for this so we can have a happy little life in America. We're praying for it so that God, we have the opportunity to reach our neighbors for Christ. All right, third truth here. We should be praying for the progress of the gospel in all nations. We don't have a village God. We have a revolutionary God. More about that next week. But for now, know this, that he's not local. He's not the God of our tribe. He's not the God of our city. He's not the God of our state. He's not the God of our nation. He's the God of all the nations of the world. The text does not say, pray for the king. It says, pray for kings. Now, in the ancient world, they had kind of a similar rule that you could understand to all times. (laughs) And that is that countries generally don't like having more than one king because the other king gets peeved. So when he says, pray for kings and not king, he's saying, he just opens the door in the word of God. You pray for everybody's king. 
You pray for everybody's God. Yes, there's a, a law of proximity here. You should be praying for your school board, your tax people, your whatever's above you, your, your, I don't know, elected dog catcher and constable, I don't care, all the way up to your mayor and your, your congress and whatever. But he says you should pray for all. You should pray for all in high positions. Why? According to the end of verse 3, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Not just your people. (laughs) All people. Our God is God is all the earth. Let's fill in a little blank here. God wants us to pray for the leaders of the world so that the conditions in each land would be most favorable for the believers in those nations to make the knowledge of God, to make known the knowledge of God to all. Which is just what the verse says, restated. I was in Thailand last summer, and um, glad to be home. Uh, the, but, but when it went there, uh, like the night before we left, uh, me and my wife and, and Isaac and Danielle Johns went to the movies in Thailand. One of the poshest movie theater I've ever seen. Uh, bar none, we, we upgraded ourselves to the top seat, which isn't that expensive compared to movie tickets here and the price of the dollar. But we didn't just sit in the seats with all the schlubs. We didn't sit in the, in, the, in the nice, soft seats. We got to sit in the leather love seats. Yes, I'm not kidding. You have to reserve those, and we did, and it was so nice. And all the other, um, I guess, sit- regular lower-class citizens... <clears throat> We're all waiting for the movie. The place goes dark. And it's about time for the previews for the next. And we went to see the Jason Bourne movie, which is horrible. It was the last. Matt Damon has lost it. He can't do this. Um, it's just the mopiest, stupidest. That's your movie review. Don't see the last Jason Bourne movie. But the, the, this kind of majestic fanfare music came on. And these pictures of the king and queen came on, especially the king when he was young. And they started this this, this video presentation of how great the king was and everyone stood up and we stood up and we stood like this and waited and we honored the king together. When it was done, we sat down and then we got our movie because they have a king in Thailand. Did you know that? They, 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 when the first time I went to Thailand was with a mission trip. I don't know, about 10 people from here at Harvest. We went over and saw Amber Nupai and, um, and, 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 and they told us, do not say anything joking about the king in public, or you could get arrested. They love their king. They love their king. King's a very important person. Now, Thailand is a, is a strategic place in Asia. Because it, there's a lot of places you can go in Asia where they don't want the gospel on their people. They don't want you converting folks. And, 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 and they'll stop you. They don't want missionaries. They don't, they don't want you there. Um, whether from India... It's difficult, but definitely like in Burma, which is now called Myanmar, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, all these places don't let you be there. But Thailand, which is the tourist capital of the Far East, they don't mind Christians being there. They, it, so it has become a sending base, a center for Christians from all over the world. It's strategic because you can get to almost anywhere in the, in the East there. And Thailand doesn't mind. They don't get in the way. It's a very strategic country. A couple of weeks ago, the king of Thailand died. Didn't make news here. Probably one or two of you only even heard, if any. 
but it's big news in Thailand. Does it matter? Well, it does to them. Now, they have a prime minister and a president and all that too, but the king is a very important person. Who's going to rule now? And the queen's old. She's going to die soon too. Does it matter who rules Thailand for the sake of the gospel? It absolutely matters who rules Thailand. And the influence that person has over those people. Have I prayed for that king, new one? No. Well, I have now because I was preparing for this sermon. (laughs) And I'd better remember the king of Thailand, the future king of Thailand, and the present queen. Who's the leader in India? Who runs that place? It's a guy named Modi, M-O-D-I. He's a Hindu's Hindu. He got elected as a Hindu's Hindu. He wants everything to be Hindu, which means not necessarily good things for all the Christian missionaries or Christians in the land sharing their faith. He's going to be up for re-election soon. Should he be re-elected or not? I don't know. But one thing I do know is that Harvest Community Church has a very important work going on in this strategic moment in history where there's 20 million Muslims in a state of 90 million people. So they're a minority. Two out of nine people. Two out of, yeah. And no one's aiming at them with the gospel. And in this electronic age, this is the time to get them with the gospel. And we've got two families there and another family going. And they're already beginning the work. They're learning the language. They're making it. Folks are even already getting saved. Does it matter the policies of the government of India, whether or not they can stay and do the work you've been investing in? Will the glory of the name of Christ reach those villages? Will it? Will Jesus, who died for all the people of the world, have representatives standing there saying, listen, worship the king? Well, the government plays a role. So pray for them. Pray for them. Governments matter. Now, God decides when and how they matter, but we are to pray anyway. Communism dropped the darkness on, 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 on the Soviet Union nations many years ago, including on Christianity in those nations. When, when, when communism fell in the USSR, it didn't clean up all those nations, but you know what it did? It led to a flood of Christianity, a flood of missionary work, and a, just, just literally... Hundreds of thousands of people are saved because the USSR lost their government. You don't have to pray that the USSR would go so that we're not nuked, which was the big issue in the 80s. You should pray the USSR goes so that people get saved. What about Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia? There's Christians in all those. The Christian population in Iraq has been decimated since the fall of Saddam Hussein, who was a bad man. And I'm not saying you should be there. But since he's gone, there's absolutely no order, and they're killing all the Christians. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, they're running away. The ones who are left are running. There's almost none left. What's the problem with that? There's no Christians in Iraq to tell the Iraqis that Jesus Christ is Lord because their quiet, dignified lives have been interrupted by nasty people who try to kill them successfully. Pray for them. Pray for Egypt. Pray for Yemen. Pray for their leaders. All right, let's, 
Let's turn one more corner here. The church is to prayerfully invite the lordship of Jesus to bring his salvation to the nations. That's what we're supposed to do. It might seem hard to believe, but everything going on in the world today is progressing according to plan. As an American, that may seem extremely hard to believe. Everything is going according to God's plan. Now, here's one more thing I want to put out to you. And everything is going perfectly well. This doesn't mean that everything that's happening is good, but God's plan is not thwarted. It was not thwarted by Roman empires or Greek empires or Persian empires or Babylonian empires or Egyptian pharaohs, and it has not been thrown off course today. Everything is going according to plan. You may not understand the plan, but you are an active citizen of two kingdoms, one earthly and one heavenly. And the earthly is only for a little while. The heavenly is forever, and it takes precedent. You are to be prayerfully inviting the lordship of Jesus to bring his salvation to the nations. Why are we talking about the nations and missions? And There's enough trouble right here. I don't... Okay, if you want to be that guy or gal, if you're a gal, that's a really strange voice for you, but okay. (laughs) You don't have the mind of Christ. Because the scripture, you've, you've been taught to pray this since you've known anything. Maybe you didn't notice. Let's go backwards in your mind here to something we call the Lord's Prayer. We're commi- Jesus teaches how to pray. Okay, pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. You're praying, that's a government prayer. You're praying for the highest government of all, everythingness, God's, to invade the world. You see, when the king came to earth the first time, he was indeed a baby. And when he grew up in his unassuming way, he, he decided at the right moment, it's time to come into the holy city, Jerusalem, and declare myself the king. He gets on a donkey, which is not the way kings ride in. And he doesn't have any armies, none of the dignitaries of the city, none of the, uh, the important Romans. No one is saying, look, here comes the king, which is how kings normally ride in. Uh, some of the populace, mostly the rabble, the, the kids, they're, they're running in front of him and throwing blankets and waving things and saying, look, it's the king. And the people in charge of the governments are saying, this is not good. And, and, and he got to the point where, where, where his procession stopped. He's at the temple and some of the, the big shots say, hey, these kids are running around saying you're the king. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus, Jesus is like, well, listen. Uh, listen, boys. You're not getting this, but this is, he didn't say this, but this is kind of the thought process that's in it. The unstoppable kingdom is born. You just, you just lived through a big moment in history and went right over your head. You don't even notice it. But I want you to know it's such a big moment in history, whether you notice it or not, that the king is going to be declared in, 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 so that any human ear can hear it right now, right here. And if you shut those kids up, fine. The rocks will cry out. They're like, whoa. So then he... He goes on, and the king doesn't get a gold crown. He gets a crown of thorns. He doesn't get honored. He gets mocked. Someone puts a royal robe on him so they can laugh at him after they've beaten him. They put a scepter in his hand, rule with this. Then they take the scepter out of his hand, hit him on the head. They put it back in his hand. You're the king? Yeah. Do it again. 
blindfold and say, who's hitting you now? Boom. That's how they treat the king. They spit in his face, drag him up the hill, strip him naked in front of his mother and nail him to the cross. And above his head, they put king of the Jews. There's your king. Got your king right there. That was the king's plan. It looked like everything was going south. Nothing was going south. That was the king's plan. It pleased him to crush him. Because through that crushing came the payment for the sins of the world. Through that crushing, he ransomed his citizens. He was purchasing his own citizens for a kingdom that could have no end. And he died on that cross, paying for your sins and mine. He rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God. And we, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you have heard that Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of God. We hear it so much, perhaps we miss the government weight of that. That is the highest place in authority that could possibly be. There's nothing higher than God. He rules all. This man, Christ Jesus, who was always God forever, this man ascends to the highest rank. And that's why he's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And unlike earthly kings, he will not die. He'll never find the inside of a stacking doll. And the next time he comes, he won't be taking a donkey. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. And everyone will say, Jesus is Lord, even those who aren't ruled with him. And he will, he will raise up when those new bodies, all his citizens from the beginning of time that had faith in him. And they will rule and reign forever with him. This is a very government picture. This is God's plan. His citizens transformed. His government doesn't end. Do you see human leaders as powerful? My friends, I mean no disrespect to any of them. They are not. Not a one of them is powerful. They're all just dust waiting to go back to the earth like you. What is government anyway? It's just us, humans, organizing to manage humans. And since we're evil, it's always going to be a mess. It's always going to be a mess. And it's always going to have some goodness to it, too. We're better off organized than left to ourselves. We're downright savages with no government. Government leaders have no power except borrowed Remember Jesus before Pilate? Jesus is standing there and, and Pilate's like, oh, I don't respect Jews. I don't, know, I don't even think I like these people. And they're all crying for your head. They want you dead. I, I've, I've killed a lot of Jews. I don't mind nailing any of them to the cross, including you. But I'm sick of these people trying to tell me what to do. And on top of that, my wife has a dream. My wife, you know, wife's going to be, oh, she's going to make my life miserable if I don't listen to her. She said, do you have nothing to do with this man? But they want your head. I've had you beat. Why don't you talk? I could have you killed. Then Jesus perks up. As a matter of fact, you don't have any power to have me killed unless it was given to you by God. He's like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Pilate was a chess piece. God goes, you. You're going to be assigned to some... God forsaken desert in the Mediterranean. 
leaving behind your beloved home country, and you will do what I need you to do. You know, we want, God appoints all leaders, even down to dog catchers and school principals. No authority comes from anyone but God, and God is working out his plan into the smallest detail, including your parenthood, which is an authority position. And that doesn't mean everyone he appoints is good. He appointed Solomon, king, yes, but he appointed Queen Jezebel also. He, the same God who appointed Washington in the United States, appointed Hitler. Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, that's Israel, whose hope is in the Lord God, who made heavens and earth and sea. Well, that's you. Blessed are you. You have God. You are subjects of the only true king. You have one nation, really. Now, I am not saying... Being a Christian doesn't make you a worse citizen of your earthly nation. It makes you a better one. I am certain that's true in my case. I am certain there are police who would agree. And and teachers. And parents. But this earthly nation of the United States of America will one day be gone. But I am a citizen of a kingdom that will never die. I submit to this one only because I submit to that one. What Paul is saying to Timothy is tell everyone, have your prayer lives align with God's plan for the nations. Pray for the leaders so that you can live a quiet, dignified life so that we can reach the world because God loves all people. God has a plan that can't be thwarted As said in Daniel, actually through Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Applications are simple and quick. One, as Americans, be good citizens. Vote your conscience, but don't let your hope rise or fall on the results of politics or government. It could go your way. It doesn't have to go your way. It doesn't matter. Your hope is in the Lord. All is never lost. I get so many... Appeals, pray for our nation, it's such a mess. I know it's a mess. Pray for it. But my prayer is that the maximum number of people in the country get saved and the Christians in the country have the maximum impact on the people in other nations to get them saved. That's my prayer. If my prayer is just just stop all those sinners from having their way and beating us up so we can have some what we want in this country, well, I ain't praying that. And I don't care how many Christian leaders send me emails telling me it's time to compromise. Second, pray for the nations that the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed in all the earth so that many would be saved. God wants all people saved. There is a, uh, if you know about theology, I would fall into a camp called Reformed. You don't have to. You can be a part of Harvest and look at those things differently. But there is a a wing of that or a push of that, that that likes to say that God doesn't love everybody. Well, I got a Bible that has all kinds of problems with that. I, I don't care if it messes with your theology. The Bible's supposed to mess with your theology. Your theology is not supposed to mess with the Bible. God loves all people. He wants them all saved. He takes no ple- pleasure in the death of the wicked. We need to be praying that God would reach all people. 
Finally, strive to live peaceful, dignified, quiet, and godly lives among this lost generation, inviting people to believe in the Savior and to join in worship services. Look, one last idea to leave you with. No government has as much power as one Christian. Not a cute saying, it's the truth. No government has as much power as one Christian. They can kill, they can't raise the dead. They can cut off your water and put you in jail. But the Christian who has the Holy Spirit cannot be locked up because he's been set free. You can kill him, he'll rise again. He won't die. You can take his stuff, he's still wealthy. You can take his citizenship, he's still got the king. And according to Romans 1.16, which says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The, any Christian in the country has the power by virtue of saying a message to their friend to take a dead soul and make it alive. I don't care what government it is or how powerful it is. They can't do that. They can't even resurrect roadkill. You can, you can get the Congress together and say, there's a possum, make it come back to life. They can't even do that. But any Christian, by the power of delivering the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can take a person from death to life. Now here's where the rubber meets the road, Christian. Your church can put on all the programs it wants. The way the church grows is you living in your community, opening your mouth and saying to someone, Christ died for you, come to church with me. Do it! Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.